Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This podcast contains explicit language. Okay, this this first segment will be the one where we welcome and banter, and it'll probably be the first part, so take a pause and just... I'll try not to fuck this up, let's just say, okay? That's my motto. Try not to fuck up. It's like on a cross stitch over my bed. I wake up and I was like, try not to fuck up today, okay? That's what my dad said to me when he dropped me off at college. He shook my hand and said, don't fuck up. Yeah. (laughs) So that happened. This week, the Senate took up a vote on whether the Obama administration should be granted fast-track authority to make trade deals, and it did not go well for the White House. It's the latest twist in the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal tale, and we'll sort out what's happening next. Meanwhile, a horrific train derailment outside Philadelphia has returned the issue of infrastructure upkeep to the fore. But is it fair to pin this tragedy on infrastructure insufficiencies? And more to the point, is it possible to have a conversation about that issue outside the shadow of a terrible accident? Or are we just reeling from crisis to crisis again? Finally, celebrated investigative journalist Seymour Hersh has dropped an alternative history of the Osama bin Laden raid. Only this time out, Hersh is finding himself to be a lot less celebrated. Today, we'll have the first part of a long discussion about the way in which this story was received and how it could impact our relationship with Pakistan. I'm Jason Lincolns with Huffington Post reporters Akbar Ahmed, Laura Barone Lopez, Zach Carter, and Ali Watkins. And here's what happened first. Welcome back to another week of So That Happened. We were off last week. We hope you didn't miss us too terribly. Today I'm with uh, two of my esteemed colleagues. Uh, sitting to my side is Laura Barone Lopez. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. This is Laura's debut. Yes, it on, is on this <laughs> premiere. Know, actually, her premiere. Mm-hmm. Sorry, her premiere. It was like a big. We threw roses at her as she walked in. <laughs> I felt uh, very loved. We made her stand at a step and repeat. And as you probably have already heard, uh, Zach Carter, <laughs> not making his premiere. <laughs> on this, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, we lived. We lived quite well uh, in the week we were off. We lived hard, but it's good. We lived hard. We died young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the reason we were off is because we were having our tenth anniversary celebration. Uh, not the podcast tenth anniversary. God help us, but the Huffington Post tenth anniversary. Uh, thank you all for being a part of this. You are the reason we got to have ten years. Doing this nonsense. And get really drunk on Thursday night. Yes, we, we hoisted <laughs> glasses to you guys. Uh, so thanks. Yeah. Thank you. And then later that night, we went to see... No, when we got back, we went to see uh, The Replacements again. Yeah, which was pretty awesome, too. It, it had nothing to do with you guys, but, you know... We thought fun. of you. Children by the millions. <laughs> I didn't think of them at all. Scream for so that happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have... We, you, Zach, you realize we've now... 
gone from DC to New York to see the replacements and now gone from New York to DC to see the replacements. I know, and it's 2015 and we're seeing the replacements. So, I mean, wow. who says dreams don't come true? We're pretty dedicated people, I think. The world is uh, is not a vampire, it turns out. It's fine because you get to see the replacements in 2015. Correct, <laughs> correct, correct. Um, now, I don't know if we'll be able to transition from vampires to TPD. <laughs> to <laughs> well, it's actually hill. a pretty pretty smooth transition. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's, I'm the king of smooth transitions. That's, that's what everyone tells me. Um, <laughs> no one tells me that. Um, so, so, you know, we've been talking about the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal on this podcast, Ride Along. We've been talking about it at the Huffington Post Ride Along. Uh, I, I think largely to the chagrin of President Barack Obama, who hasn't really enjoyed what we have to say. He openly says, don't read the Huffington Post on, on TPP, trade. TPP, yeah. Uh, he openly says that. So yeah. you are all rebels for listening to this podcast. He says he says things like that, don't read the Huffington Post on trade, like the same day he has a blog post at the Huffington Post. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure he understands how new media works, but regardless... <laughs> He's kind of old. So. I, guess, I, guess, I guess what, what can we say about what happened this week in Congress? Big scalp for us, right? <laughs> us TPP haters. In a sense. In a sense, yes. <clears throat> so set the stage and let's let's explain to people what exactly went down this week. Mm-hmm. Well, Laura, you were okay. there. You yeah, I was there. Um, well, what happened was the Senate was set to proceed to debate on the trade promotion authority bill, which would essentially give the president fast track authority to, you know, shepherd through these deals like the TPP, uh, you know, once they're negotiated and all uh, put together. Um, and by but, fast track, I mean skipping yeah, so traditional he'd approval give, every he'd single time. Yeah, so he'd be given uh, expedited powers to just... Congress can't, through. the Congress would not be able to amend any yeah. bill that he negotiates. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it would apply not just to deals... Um, that that this president negotiates, but also six years into the future. Mm-hmm. So so the next president, potentially two presidents, which is also why you know Republicans love it so much. And they um, were bringing it to the floor on Tuesday. Lose track of my day sometimes up there. And they <laughs> uh, Democrats said no. They um, <laughs> they said that they wanted to have votes on more bills related to trade. That they wanted specifically something on cur- currency manipulation and on. Uh, as Zach knows, on uh, banning imports with forced child labor. And so because of that, they just shut it all down, um, you know, with the help of Senator Brown and um, really pushing the leadership to do this. And it was a mess up there. I mean, everyone was scrambling. And Senator Orrin Hatch, who helped originally craft this deal out of the finance He was not happy. He was not happy at all. Yesterday, he was saying he was going to kill somebody. So that was <laughs> he was pissed. lively. He was oh really pissed. God. He was pissed. He, okay, that's, that's remarkable because Orrin Hatch is typically a very mild-mannered guy. <laughs> Uh, but wow. he, he is sort of the like like prog- progressive like like boogeyman bad guy on trade though. Yeah, that's it, true. Basically, everything that Orrin Hatch likes on trade is the exact opposite of what you know, all of the internet freedom people like, all of the environmental groups like, all of the labor unions like, what Elizabeth Warren likes. Um, he is he is the exact opposite, and so he's he's really mad that he had to make all these compromises just to get his bill out of out of committee. 
Uh, and then he got it to the floor and people were like, actually, um, we, we, we really want you to abide by those compromises. Yeah. So the issue was that in, in the committee, they had separated all of the, they sort of dumped all of the, the Democratic, uh, you know, like show votes into a separate bill that was not the Trade Promotion Authority. It wasn't the fast track power. Right. And so what that meant is that they could hold a vote on this other stuff that the Democrats liked. And anything that happened to that bill would not affect what happened to fast track. So they could get the fast track that Republicans and the president want without necessarily giving Democrats the stuff that they'd had all these show votes on in, in the Senate Finance Committee. And so Democrats were like, oh, no, 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 you're going to put this stuff together. And they stuck together and they filibustered um, and, and blocked the opening of debate, which, while mostly symbolic, I mean, because the next day yeah. they, they opened debate on it, uh, it, it, was, it, it was a significant symbol. Because the whole point of, of, of sending fast track through the Senate was because it was, was a result of the lack of support that fast track has in the House. Mm-hmm. They just don't have the votes to get it through the House. And the idea is if they have a nice, quick, big vote where lots of people come out in support of, of this thing in the Senate, they sort of run up the score and put a lot of pressure on the House to vote for it. And that didn't happen. Instead, it got filibustered. Uh, and it was it was a pretty big embarrassment for the administration, I think. Josh Ernest yeah. having to go around say saying, you know, uh, there was a, a procedural snafu <laughs> in the Senate. Which afterwards, everyone made fun of him for using that word. But. It's like, yeah. Right. Like, I know this couple, they had a procedural snafu. Now they're divorced. Uh, um, really. But it, it was an embarrassment, you know, because this is one of the most divisive issue, issues within the Democratic Party. Um, so many Democrats on this one issue are so defiantly against Obama. And so that, you know, all that coming to a head on Tuesday. And then they did have to work to get the pro-trade Democrats back on their side to then you know, stay united for the syllabuster. Right. Because I don't think it was totally known. They lost that right Tom out of, Harper, right? He was the one. He was the one lone Democrat that voted with Republicans. <laughs> he was like, whatever. <laughs> I, am, am I allowed to feel like there's a sense of strange irony <clears throat> that um, it was it was it was a Republican caucus that was largely saying, let's let's uh, let's give the president this authority. I mean, this, am I allowed to feel a sense of irony considering that? On a lot of other issues, they're very loath to acknowledge that the president has authority no, and extremely averse to him <clears throat> claiming authority uh, on his own. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's right. I mean, the administration have, has even said it. They're like, it's kind of funny that, yes, they're with us on trade, but then they're, um, you know, they're, they're backwards on their views on, um, on Iran. Right. <laughs> immigration. Them. Immigration. Yeah, immigration. Oh, hold too. on. I'm becoming Tom okay. Waits or so, for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. Okay. Now everything's fine again. Everything, continue, Laura. I, I apologize. Um, Got your Hanson voice back. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> mm, so, uh, yeah, I mean, they flat out said that, you know, on around they want to take our powers, the uh, right. Obama's powers away, but you know, on stuff like AUMF and on trade, they want to give him all the authority well, and, that and he possibly have. There, there's a significant Tea Party block. It's, it's not the mm-hmm. Tea Party block that has a whole lot of influence in Washington, right? That that's like the Club for Growth, the right, Heritage Foundation, right, right. The, the Tea Party group that's backed by like really rich billionaires. Um, but instead, the, this, the Tea Party group, like like the Phyllis Schlafly's of the, the world, the Tea Party with the pinky out Tea Party, right? Exactly. Hey, boy. <laughs> right. Hey, <laughs> what exactly. does the Chamber of Commerce want today? Precisely. We have a tea well, party. no, no. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce and, and Heritage Foundation uh, are at loggerheads a lot, and they are they are sometimes at loggerheads. All right, with, true. That uh, was a bad example with, uh, with Club for Growth. But but my, the Phyllis my, Schlafly's, my you know, Queen Elizabeth imitation really ran aground at the end there. I apologize for that. 
Yeah, it's continue. Should. Sorry. Uh, so, so, but there is this substantial like Phyllis Schlafly type block that said, "Look, you know, we've been Phyllis Schlafly. For those of you who don't know, is is this like old school hardline social conservative from like the '70s who was very influential in blocking the Equal Rights Amendment for women in the '70s and '80s." Um, but she's still yeah, she's like America's like own Harry Potter villain in a lot of ways. <laughs> Uh, but it's interesting because on, on the trade stuff, a lot of stuff she says sounds like what progressives say. They say, you know, we shouldn't. Oh, we shouldn't, yeah, that's true. That's true. We, we should not be fast tracking this stuff. Congress should have an oversight role. We don't want the administration making executive decisions. And she also points out that a lot of these things are negotiated behind closed doors with corporate yeah. lobbyists. Um, and she's not, you know, she's not a corporate conservative. She's, she's a, like a, a no gaze and like <laughs> kind of conservative. Um, I forgot that you, you, you've actually talked to Phyllis Schlafly about this, yes, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. You got with Phyllis. Yeah. Uh, yes, and uh, and she was like, "Get at me, Zach Carter." Right, and she you know, she could tell she she knew she was talking to the Huffington Post, and she was like, "You know, <laughs> can't believe I'm talking to the Huffington Post about this." But uh, but but you know, there there is a block of Tea Party Republicans in in the House as well who who share that view. They say, "Why you know we're against giving the president authority on all these different things? We should be consistent on on our on our executive authority stuff, and and not grant him additional powers on this." And and there are also, I mean, I, there's there are all, there are all kinds of reasons that people vote against against trade powers. Some of them, I think, is just straight up xenophobia, uh, but others, I think, are more nuanced economic uh, economic arguments. And there are a lot of Republicans from states, particularly textile states like North Carolina, that have just been devastated. By 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 offshoring and outsourcing over the last few years or thirty years really, uh, and and don't see a real don't don't see a whole lot of benefits in their district from this type of uh, of, of economic strategy. So th- they're going to vote against it, and then basically all the Democrats are going to vote against it, and they don't have the votes in the House as a result. Um, which is why this Senate drama is so important because if they can get uh, a big a big show of support from Democrats and flush all the Democratic objections into into some black hole somewhere, um, then you'll basically get. The, the sort of traditional Republican plus Bill Clinton, in this case, Barack Obama will be standing in for Bill Clinton, uh, majority on on trade and, and, and the deal will go through. I still don't know, though, in the Senate if they, you know, the Democrats that are anti-trade like Reid are going to end up voting for it. I don't see them voting for it even when they get these other bills. I mean, Brown has flat out said, I'm still not going to vote for it. Um, but right. yeah, like you said, in the House, it's going to be a lot harder um, just going around talking to lawmakers yesterday, uh, especially um, ones within, you know, that the Freedom Caucus, which is that conservative faction. Right. There, more of those, uh, those lawmakers are f- not for this. It's very hard. It's going to be really hard for leadership to get um, all of their, you know, their their caucus on board. Um, right now, just rough estimates. People are saying, you know, it's like probably 170 Republicans that are for it, but that's nowhere near yeah, enough. Because then, enough. even if you just get 20 Democrats, which are the is the amount of Democrats that are saying they they likely vote for it, that still is short. You're still about Am 20 I, votes short. I, yeah. I'm not crazy though. I, I have to I have to feel like in times past, uh, with a, especially with the Democratic president, there wouldn't be this kind of resistance to this trade deal. Like. Uh, are are we still talking about this kind of like track toward populism that the Democrats have like put themselves on since the midterm elections? I think so. I mean, well, this this objection on trade has been there since before the midterm. Sure, election. sure, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Obama basically shelved this for the midterms for all of, of 2014, so that it wasn't going to be something that Democrats were going to have to take him on over. Yeah. So he, he's and he sort of feels like you know I gave you guys cover in 2014. I, I don't see why you're being such jerks about this now. Can't you just buckle like you did on NAFTA <laughs> and everything else? Um, and and the the I, I think the the issue here is that the Democratic Party has has sort of 
they've coalesced on domestic policy on just about everything. There aren't issues where the Democratic Party party is divided. Everybody in the Democratic Party yeah. basically is on board with gay marriage. Everybody in the Democratic Party is basically on board with immigration reform. Mm -hmm. um, the, the one issue is economic policy. And there it's all about the relationship between the Democrats and Wall Street. And and if you think of Wall Street, not just as like the big banks that torpedoed the economy in 2008, but as very wealthy, powerful people uh, in, in the corporate universe, then TPP becomes very problematic because it's obvious that it's it's basically negotiated for 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 Wall Street first, and then to the extent that there are things that benefit everybody else, those are all supposed to to trickle down essentially from from the benefits that these deals get, garner for very large corporations. And Elizabeth Warren has been very outspoken, saying you know that's not the way we should manage economic policy. And the president has basically gone out and said you know all of these concerns are bunk. And look, I've I've after we turn everything over to Wall Street on on this on this trade deal, we're going to have all these other little labor labor protections and environmental protections that make sure that Wall Street can't do anything that's too bad. Um, and the Democrats just basically don't believe him. Uh, the deal has yeah. been the, the deal is it remains classified. So Obama could just release it if he wanted to, to prove that he's he's got, you know, the most progressive trade deal in history uh, that he claims to have. Um, and, and you know, Democrats who've seen it, like Elizabeth Warren, just don't think that's accurate or, or a fair characterization of, of what's going on. And I, I cannot imagine that changing. You know, we, we've we've dealt with the, the, the sort of narrative on on TPP for a long time was that it was it was NAFTA on steroids. Um, and I, I think that's a little bit hyperbolic. I think it's more like NAFTA with earrings. And like they, they, there are there are some cosmetic changes to <coughs> right. to this trade deal. But if you look at the way these things are enforced and have been enforced over time, the Obama administration NAFTA itself. NAFTA tribal tattoo. Right. <laughs> this, this has got, you know, exactly. Um, the Obama administration itself doesn't enforce the existing authorities it has on, on labor protections and environmental protections. You know, they're still killing labor organizers in, in, in Colombia. Uh, they're still killing labor organizers in Guatemala. Uh, and and the, the administration in Guatemala has taken some sort of token actions, but they're still killing people. They haven't, they haven't actually resolved anything. It's been like six years. Uh, and, and, you know, nothing is really happening in Colombia and other, other countries where there, are, where there are these existing trade deals with labor standards um, that the Obama administration could just do something about, but don't. Where does this all? Where is this going now? I mean, so this has Wait. been this has been kind of an epic defeat. Uh huh. But they're going to vote on. We, um, move, we move past epic defeats. Pretty. They're going to vote on some of the bills today, uh, the customs bill, and then the the African uh, trade bill, uh, and then after that, they're going to go straight to the TPA, the Trade Promotion Authority, the so fast track. Right. So um, and and they expect it to pass, and then as soon as uh, the Senate passes it, then the House will be trying to take it up. But if that's, I mean, the, the vote on TPA in the Senate may not come till next week, probably right. won't come till next week because they're not, I don't see them getting it done today. Um, and then, and then the House could take it up next week. They only have one more week before they go to recess. So, um, <laughs> and that's a big deal because yeah. there's, because there's another, the TPP deal is not finished with being negotiated, right? They're, st they're still negotiating this deal with like 11 other countries. And there's, a, there's another round of those ne negotiations at the, at the end of the month. So the reason that there was this big push to cut some sort of deal to, to push through this democratic filibuster, which they did do on Wednesday, yeah. um, was, was because the administration doesn't want to look like they just got shot down on getting their trade promotion authority Ahead right before those. they go and negotiate. Mm -hmm. So then the House uh, will try to get to it. I mean, soon. Boehner said yesterday that he wants to, as soon as the Senate acts, he's going to bring it to the House floor. But again, there's going to be a problem with votes. And, you know, just talking to uh, Representative Salmon yesterday, he was saying if that vote was held today, they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't have 
then, you know, they wouldn't have the votes to pass it. And he doesn't see that happening anytime soon. Um, So it's going to be really hard because it comes down also to not just, you know, the policy of this, but a lot of or a good chunk of the conservative Republicans, you know, don't know if they want to be seen as siding with Obama on an issue. So it's the whole political side to it. Oh, yeah, that's true. That whole, you know, stigma of do I vote with him when this entire time I've been saying I absolutely cannot stand him. He's a socialist monster. And so there's that. Or do, you know, another uh, lawmaker put it is, or do I get excited because I get to vote like anti-Harry Reid on something? Good point. You know, Mitch McConnell (laughs) framed it. Mitch McConnell framed it by saying that a vote for TPP uh, was really a vote to assist the next Republican president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's- uh, which, which to my mind, I don't know, that, 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 that then becomes sort of very clarifying for Democrats. I, mean, I think that things like that make it a little bit easier for them to hang together after the fact, but maybe Mitch McConnell doesn't give a shit. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Well, remember, his job is to get Republican votes, right? Yeah, so, of course, yeah. And, and so he needs, he needs the, the Chamber of Commerce to, to basically say, Mitch McConnell, you did good, and thank you. Because the Chamber of Commerce, which is the, the largest corporate lobbying, most influential one on the head. Yeah. In, in, in the country, they they are almost exclusively a wing of the Republican Party. They they donate to like token Democrats, maybe maybe like once a cycle yeah. now, uh, but it's it's really just a fundraising apparatus for the Republican Party. So Mitch McConnell feels a lot of pressure to get Republican votes to show the chamber, hey, it was a good idea that you stuck with us because look at all those Democrats, they're going to vote against you. Mm-hmm. So even if he loses, it's good for McConnell to say, well, I got as many Republicans as I as as I could. And look, the Democrats, you know, they, they oppose your your big priority chamber of commerce. Um, and, and, I, and I think but I, I do think ultimately Republicans aren't going to be able, like they, they will not have the votes. Um, they, they just will not have the votes. The mm-hmm. game right now is winning over over Democrats. And so that sort of comment, I actually don't think helps. I, I don't think it helps their cause very much. All right. Well, let's move on to another topic uh, this week. No. Um, uh, well, there you go. Stay never, on this. I've never been on mind. This for five fucking years. I know. I know. You'll get. <laughs> you're going to talk, damn it. <laughs> you're going to get another chance to talk about trade on this podcast, Zach. It's gonna, like next week and then the week after. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's like the only thing that might actually happen in Congress this year. It's the only thing. Probably. Well, thanks for ruining my transition. <laughs> What a train wreck this transition has been, and that was a bad mm. joke. Uh, anyway, uh, anyway, so yeah, very poor taste. That's my brand. Very poor taste. <laughs> very, very tactless nonsense that I should be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. But oh, so so this week there was a there was a a, a terrible uh, train crash mm-hmm. uh, just outside Philadelphia. Uh, night train, the one eighty eight, uh, headed towards Washington. As a matter of fact, uh, derailed. Um, many, many, many injuries. I believe the death, seven people died. Yeah. We don't know how it came about, but we know that it, it happened as a result of a train speeding too fast. It was, I think it clocked at 102 miles an hour around a, uh, t- curve that had a, had a speed limit that was half that. Mm-hmm. So, so this is a terrible, terrible accident. Cropped up, of course, in this is that it ties back into an overall debate about America's crumbling infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? Um, is that fair? Did crumbling infrastructure cause this accident? Yes. I mean, well, I would say that America's infrastructure is in poor, you know, it's not doing well. No, it's terrible. It's terrible. Um, and so right now, 
the fund for, which wouldn't, um, I don't think, necessarily pay for something like Amtrak. I mean, Amtrak funding did just get cut in a committee hearing. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yesterday. That's right. The House panel. Uh, it would have increased funding, I think. Well, this is, this is significant. It would have offered $825 million for this technology that's known as positive train control. Mm-hmm. Uh, NPR reported on what positive train control is. It is a GPS-based sensor system uh, that the law is mandated be put on the entire commuter rail network. Uh, and it's actually on part of the Northeast Corridor uh, train line. It's not, obviously, it's not where this crash happened. And what positive train control will do is using GPS and sensors, it detects things that are on the track and it detects the speed of the train and it can override the engineer and actually slow the train down. This accident would not have happened had this technology been in place on this, this track. This turn is like as close to a right, a right angle turn as you can have on, on like a train track. It's very likely that there was some type. It's, it's at least possible that there was some type of mechanical failure on the train, which led to it going too fast and being unable to slow down. Um, so that that is itself an, another problem. Like, this is a problem independently of why we don't have safety safety fa- factors right, but you know, to th- prevent broken trains from crashing. This this is an, a point the NTSB uh, spokeswoman on NPR emphasized uh, was that we don't have like a whole bunch of commuter train accidents all the time. Mm-mm. And it's just when one happens you, that you, you, it, all this stuff is thrown into stark relief. This is, this Anna Liebelson uh, wrote a story the night of explaining that, that the Amtrak system is actually quite safe. But this is this is why regulation is important, right? Like like the banking system was super safe until it was the most unsafe thing in the fucking world and it destroyed the entire economy. Right. Like everything was cool on Wall Street. Everybody was happy, no problems, until everything was a disaster. It's all cool on Amtrak until a train crashes. The, um, the, the, the interesting thing about that positive train control is that there's numerous uh, uh, regions that are going to miss their deadline on having this stuff installed. Mm-hmm. And so the money that was cut, I, I mean, I don't know what the money would have gone to. Presumably it could have gone to help meet deadlines. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would have gone to Amtrak's, yeah, and it was like two hundred million or so that was cut. Um, but, but yeah, I mean the fact that commuter trains are still are relatively safe. I mean this this accident did happen, but I would speak to Zach's point about just regulation is important, and it's hard to keep up with all the standards if you don't have the funds to do so. You know, I can't help but note that. In Japan, they have maglev trains that um, 
that travel 300 miles an hour. In fact, just recently they set a new record from uh, that's terrifying from Tokyo to Nagoya. It's, they got they got a train from Tokyo to Nagoya in 40 minutes. That's that's roughly about the distance between Washington D.C. and New York City. Oh wow! Um, so they did that in in in, in 40 minutes. Uh, and you're missing the point here, when, Jason. When am I missing the point? You're missing the point. The, po- the point here is is that look look how good the private sector is at innovating into new ty- types of space tra- of, of travel in the United States. Just look at the private sector space industry. It's doing great. Everything there is fine. They never have any accidents. It seems to be, it seems to be terrific. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. That's there the, were accidents. That's the irony of what Zach's talking about, you yeah. guys. There were accidents. But you know, as someone who does like taking the train and does like taking the train, especially around the Northeast. Core, Order, uh, I I I am kind of aggrieved that many many other nations, including I think Uzbekistan, have bullet trains, maglev trains that are superior to ours. I don't want to call them a problem, but you know, I mean, Congress does technically work far behind, you know, the private sector. So, or in t- when they implement standards, then it does slow them down or the private sector down a little bit, but. I think that the regulations are important because of the fact that, you know, without these regulations, then something could happen. Uh, I just I'll leave with this. It's sad that uh, it takes these kind of tragedies to focus so much energy and attention on on, on this stuff. But, you know, this is why uh, a forward thinking, proactive Congress that actually wants America to succeed and wants our infrastructure to be great would be preferable to the one we have. Which is ideologically opposed to roads, right? But we'll defund Acorn <laughs> ten times. <laughs> ten times. All right. Well, guys, thanks for joining me on these two segments. Uh, uh, Zach Carter. You can follow him on Twitter at at Zach D Carter, as we're fond of saying. It's Zach as Zach. Yes. H is in hammer. C A R T E R. Also follow him at Brutalism with three M's. With three M's. <laughs> Brutalism. That's true. SoundCloud.com slash Brutalism. And you can follow Laura Barone Lopez at, and I don't know your Twitter off the top of my head. <laughs> L. Barone Lopez. L. That's L. That's L-B-A-R-R-O-N-L-O-P-E-Z. Yes. All right. Great. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Hey there, listener of this podcast. I've got a quick little thing I'd love to chat with you about. Are you a regular So That Happened listener? Well, let us know. Send me an electronic communication with your electronic communicating devices at so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Tell us what you think of the show, what we're messing up, and who you'd like to hear more from or more about. Okay, back to the program. Okay, hi everyone. We are back, and now we are with uh, Huffington Post's own Allie Watkins. Hey, that's thanks right. for having me. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Say hello. Say hello when I when I. You know. <laughs> I haven't had coffee yet, so I'm kind no, of. No, it's okay. Yeah, up. don't don't even worry about that. It's it's all it's all good. And and here making his so that happened debut. We are very excited to have Akbar Ahmed. Hi, it's good to be here. Yes, it's great to have you here. It's great to have you two here because now we're going to talk about Seymour Hersh's alternate history of the Osama bin Laden 
killing. Long alternate history. Yes, and I'll just I want to tell the I want to tell listeners right up front that uh, we're it's going to be a long conversation, and so what we've decided to do is sort of like take it in parts. We're gonna we're we're going to uh, uh, have part one here today, and then tune in next week for the exciting conclusion of what the fuck just <laughs> happened with the Cy Hirsch piece. So see see how I baited the hook for now you to come back for the this is a new, this is our first like exciting cliffhanger episode we're like broad church up in this bitch <laughs> so that's great that's great that's great so let's let's um so let's just begin at the beginning so um so Seymour Hirsch celebrated journalist celebrated NatSec foreign policy journalist he's the guy who wrote the story on the Milai massacre he also most notably uh, wrote pathfinding uh, re- reportage on Abu Ghraib. Uh, this week in the London Review of Books, uh, published a, a massive opus. Uh, essentially, it is a an alternative telling of what happened that White House correspondence d- dinner weekend so many years ago uh, when SEAL Team 6 uh, capped, for the lack of a better word, <laughs> Osama bin Laden in Abbottabad, Pakistan. Um and this is a very different story, you guys. Very different like, story. Like, super different. Like, can we just, like, talk about the ways in which this story is different right off the top? Well, well um, where to even begin? I think that <laughs> one of the biggest ways in which it's different is that Seymour Hush basically turned around to everyone else who has ever reported on this and said, fuck you, you are an administration tool. That's true, Which, yeah. One reason why the response has been so... Yeah, they didn't take that so well, did they? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and you see people like Peter Bergen, for instance, who wrote a book about this raid, right? There are people who've done really deep work on this and think this is wrong. So Seymour Hush is essentially saying... The story that glorifies American SEALs is wrong. Pakistani intelligence is a lot more involved. And the Obama administration is slippery, political, and manipulative, mm-hmm. which is not news. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. no, no, well, I mean, looking at the specific claims, um, I, I mean, gosh, you can go down a giant list. Um, where to even start? You know, it wasn't torture and this courier that led to bin Laden's right, compound. Right. It was some... ISI defector, a high-level Pakistani official, intelligence official who so essentially— Took $25 million. Yeah, walked into the CIA compound and said, hey, here's where Osama bin Laden is. And, and Jessica Chastain goes, hey, thanks. Okay, <laughs> end credits, and we're done. Right. Um, I, other inaccuracies. Um, there's a lot. A pretty big claim he makes is that the Pakistani intelligence, the ISI, was holding Osama bin Laden as a prisoner for five years right. in this, like, rather nice house in Abbottabad, which is— Abitavad. I being around Americans makes me mispronounce my own country's name. <laughs> Abitavad, in Abitavad, where the Pakistani version of West Point is the military academy. Osama was living within a couple of miles of it. Seymour Hersh's claim is the ISI knew it, kept him as a prisoner. And a really interesting claim that he makes, I don't think it's getting enough attention, is that Osama was not the operational commander of Al-Qaeda. So he's basically saying, hey, Obama, this was not a big win. This was just an old guy who was a prisoner of the ISI who you just killed. Whereas Osama, Obama, Jesus, is like, (laughs) we got the leader of Al-Qaeda, destroyed this leadership, got all these documents, and killed him in a firefight. Right. So that's a very different depiction. The account of the firefight, the account of what happened the minute the SEALs entered the compound, dramatically different. And to just bring it back to Jessica Chastain, I guess the the scene in Zero Dark 30 is like, I'm the motherfucker who lucked into this guy walking in my front door. Exactly. Um, So uh, there's a totally different story about the firefight, what happened, totally different story 
story about what became of the remains of Osama bin Laden after the fact. Mm-hmm. And a crazy idea that there was a backroom deal cut between uh, the United States government and Pakistani uh, intelligence and government. There's even within uh, Sy story, a lot of like very conflicting things about how the SEALs felt about the mission itself. At one moment you have you have Bob Gates saying, oh, I think you have to be really careful when you talk about this not to disclose uh, methodology because the SEALs do this stuff every day and we don't want people to know about it, to uh, the, the SEALs being sworn to a non-disclosure agreement, which they were presumably upset about, to two of them writing books about it in defiance of the non-disclosure agreement they were presumably upset about, and yet not <laughs> dropping the dime right. on Obama in either of those accounts if Hirsch's account were true. And it, it, it's it's really, it's just a lot of puzzling stuff going on here. Yeah, I mean... But to read it, to read it, it does hang together a little bit. I yeah, mean, absolutely. It's a story with a beginning, middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. The story has... And it's a fun narrative to read. I mean, it's the sensational spy cover-up crazy story. I mean, the number one rule of covert action is you don't tell a lot of people about it. So that's probably, (laughs) I mean, one of the most simplistic (laughs) problems just in trying to wrap your head around all this is that you know, there's no uh, there's uh, there's no secrets. There's only delayed disclosures. That's that's a mantra that I've heard consistently from people that I talk to within the IC. Oh oh oh! And then there's the Vinson. You know. There's the Vinson. There's the there's the USS where the, where they allegedly held this this funeral. That's a ship full of people that apparently are all like, yeah, we'll keep it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, it's like we're up. not spooks. We're not part of the agency, but we're we're hyped to keep this secret. It's, it's, it strains a little bit of credulity. I think as Ali's saying, it's just so fun, which is great. It's a good story. But the problem is, like, Ali and I, deal, you deal with this. Like, when you're sitting with a source over a drink, this is the kind of story you will hear, right? And it's like this long, drawn-out narrative. And then Ali and I will tell each other the narrative again, have some more drinks, and think, ha-ha, we know something. This reads like something you hear at a cocktail party is a lot of the problem. It's a lot of, like, a retired official's like, hey, guess what I know? And right. And Mohesh is like... And that's one of the problems. Okay, so this story was very poorly received. And I think it was received in a lot of ways. We can get into the ways in which mm-hmm. various people received it. And Akbar, you already touched on one. It, it just got the got right up the backside of everyone who'd, who'd been telling this narrative forever. But I think that a lot of people looked at this and they're like, wow, okay, okay, that's an interesting story here. But here we have it all hangs on a single anonymous source mm-hmm. who is vaguely described and described in a way that doesn't really put a lot of faith in, in, in me as to him being like really present front and center or what's going on. Uh, and there's no documented evidence anywhere in the story. And that's, that's, that's something that was, that's very different from previous reporting that size done. Uh, Lai, tons of documentation and he got names on the record. Mm. Same thing with Abu Ghraib. And so it does kind of read like a sort of like, you know, Mark Twain spinning a yarn about this guy getting murdered. Um, Like, I kind of feel when I read it, I'll be honest, and I I had conversations with people. uh, I had a conversation with a guy I know who was like, was like, I noticed the Huffington Post just put the word claims in the headline. So I heard claims this happened. How come you guys aren't being more 
more like firm backing mm-hmm. him up. And you know, I was like, I was like, because dude, like Rolling Stone just happened. Right. Like exactly. honestly, I think we're all a little gun shy of stories that kind of like read like this. Yeah. If I can make just one observation on this front, um, you know, Akbar and I had a conversation the morning after this story broke. Um, and I think you're in a very challenging position as a reporter when something like this happens. I think particularly as people who cover intelligence and really sensitive issues, um, because uh, to oversimplify it, don't throw rocks when you live in a glass house. You know, I rely on anonymous sources for 90 percent of my reporting. Um, so I, I think recognizing flaws in a story is really important. Then again, we didn't want to go out there and pull a Max Fisher at Vox where we just said, right. this is all bullshit. I don't have any sources to say it's bullshit outside of spin machines. But I, so you know what I mean? Yeah, so he like dropped like a bomb, like a ton of bricks on this. Yeah, and I was like, whoa, right. slow your roll, dude. Yeah, exactly. So it's that very careful line of still being skeptical of a story. With Cy Hirsch, I mean, he even told HuffPost, he told um, Michael Catalan that, you know, you, of course, you, as a journalist, you should never take anything as straight truth. Question it. Question my reporting. Question right. the administration. But at the same time, you have to walk a very careful line as a reporter, especially when you are also relying on a lot of anonymous sources. So, right. yeah, that's very good observation there about, you know, how to do. Can we say claims? I think claims is the safest way to put it in a headline. Yeah, I know. I know. And like, you know, I appreciate the I appreciate anyone who comes up and is like, I usually rely on you guys to be less safe. But. I mean, we all remember, you know, Rolling Stone and how there's like that, you know, you get burned really easily. Mm-hmm. And in Rolling Stone, I mean, they re-reported, Columbia re-reported the story, right? right? Yeah. And I think that that is one of the most productive responses people are now having. Ali and I have spoken about re-reporting elements of it. Like, other people are working on it. The Pakistani media is working on it. Pakistani outlets have got people who are trying to identify who this alleged tipster. Oh, you had to imagine the Pakistani right. media was going to come out like, like, hammer and tong at this. Well, the, there were reports that the ISI put out a subtle gag order uh, saying you can't talk about it. And that's not something I've heard confirmed. That's just something I've heard from people within the country in media that the ISI is saying don't talk about it. So you can't really do it if the ISI tells you not to because they will kill you. <laughs> like, that's not a joke. A colleague of mine was killed in suspicious circumstances. That happens. So the Pakistani media, it's tougher for them. Uh, the American media has a big onus, and that's why what NBC did on Monday night, where they went and tried to re-report part of this, I thought that was interesting and quite important. It was surprising to me that they then walked it back. They essentially said, we can confirm Seymour Hersh's claim there was a Pakistani intelligence official who gave this information to the Americans. Then the next day they said, oh, but the Americans didn't really rely that heavily on the information. Which was odd. I don't know what you guys made of that. So, it, it was, it was the, one of the best non-correction corrections I think right. we've seen in a while. Our big scoop is not so big. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still like kind of a half-truth, so we're just not We're sorry. We're, we're sorry about that. Sorry about that. that. Sorry, Cy. <laughs> sorry we learned a thing. <laughs> Stupid us for learning a thing. <laughs> but but there's... Uh, I feel I I do feel like like it is maybe a productive response to this to go out and re-report it. But I'll point out that like I think Isaac Chotner actually like actually put that question to Sai in that rather hilarious but conten- really definitely contentious <laughs> interview uh, over at Slate. And, and 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 you know he said I'm not taking a thing I said back, which kind of says to me that like. Yeah, people can re-report it, but he's unmoved. Yeah, I, two pieces here come to mind with this. Um, the first is, I believe it, it might have been Slate again. Um, they did kind of this story, again, 
poking a little more fun at Hirsch's piece than, than I think I personally would have done, but kind of looking at this archetype of the crank intelligence source. Yeah. Um, kind of these old retired guys who, who, you know, the nut of their knowledge is usually right, but they tend to be very conspiratorially minded. Um, I think we've all run into sources like that. And usually if you can weed out which is relevant and what's not, they can be great avenues for good stories. Well, some guy who fits that milieu was the guy who worked for, uh, Cheney, who like who like gave everyone <laughs> news about the the, uh, the the raid on Twitter. Yeah, oh, they got exactly <laughs> what they're about to say is is uh, is that they got Osama bin Laden. Yeah, right. And, and yeah, didn't Dwayne the Rock Johnson also know in advance? Which is <laughs> oh, I don't know. maybe Dwayne the Rock. Johnson Everyone's a spook, guys. You ask that Vincent. You really never know. You yeah, really the know. Rock. We, uh, all, we all could be in on this conspiracy. Um, so, um, writing for the New Republic, L. Reeves suggested that one another reason that maybe the story uh, didn't explode in the way that previous Cyher uh, stories exploded was that it kind of like whistled past Obama's head, uh, and so like the typical liberal media elites, liberal pundits were disinclined to give Hirsch a lot of credit because they're going after the guy in the white hat. So, is there any credit? Do you think that plays a role in this? I think that a lot of people were hurt, and like people are forgetting this, but Seymour Hirsch wrote a piece in 2013 saying that Bashar al-Assad did not commit a chemical weapons attack. That's right. He and pinned it on Turkey. Crazy. Yes. That, is, that was insane and so out there. And these kinds of stories, like much as we can sit in Washington and discuss the intricacies of the reporting and like what were the ethics here and who did he talk to and blah, blah, blah. These have real consequences on relationships with countries. So something like that Seymour Hirsch piece on Turkey and the chemical weapons had real consequences for the Obama administration's perception of its Syria strategy and how people in the region viewed the, viewed the White House. So do you think that do you think that maybe there is some defection from ideological allies who might have like supported a Hirsch story about the Bush administration, for right. example? Mm-hmm. I, I think so. And I think also when he was wrong on that, which was really a big claim, like he had nothing to back that up and we haven't seen that go anywhere. That burns people because you're not going to turn around then and say Seymour Hirsch is a great guy who's exposing amazing things. Right. So, you know, I, I mean, I liked I liked what L was saying in that piece. But I would have, you know, if, if, if I if I had anything to add to it, I would say that, like, there's a lot of reasons for people to, like, just be gun shy because of the journalism. Yeah, involved. exactly. Um, and that and that I think that I mean, like I said, I, I, I think your point is right. I think that, like. I think that Max Fisher got like a little bit out over his skis in his response to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I wouldn't have been that it, 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 it's, it's been so weird. Like a lot of the vacillations has been between Cy Hirsch and a guy who comes a little too hard at Cy Hirsch. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, keep being pushed back between these camps. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, that's why, I mean, that's why this is fascinating. Why we're talking about it is because like, I'm trying to like find the straight line here between yeah, it's a lot hard. of different truths. It's not easy. Like I, like I told readers, we're going to have part one of this in this week's podcast, part two next week's. So that's what happened this week. This week, Ibrahim Balki is out of the office, and so Brad Shannon handled most of the producing, editing, and technical direction for this podcast. Thanks, Brad. See you soon, Ibrahim. Our efforts were assisted, as always, by Christine Canetta and Adriana Ucero. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week, we were joined by HuffPost reporters Akbar Ahmed, Laura Barone-Lopez, Zach Carter, and Ali Watkins. So That Happened is available on iTunes, so check us out in the iTunes store and look for the Huffington Post's whole family of podcasts. Subscribe and tell your friends. Next week, we will have the second part of our Seymour Hirsch discussion, so please tune in for that. In the meantime, if there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, 
always, you can send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Like always, we thank you very much for listening, and we miss you already. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 